Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing his ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. If we haven't met, I'm Denise Dines. I've called Axiom home for, I don't know, six or seven years, two buildings ago, whenever that was. And uh, once in a while, they asked me to teach, and today is one of those days. And we are picking it back up in the book of Acts. So we began Acts, the book of Acts, in the summer, and then went through it for a little while, and then we took a little break. Now we're back. We're going to, after that, take a little break, and we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep returning to the book of Acts until one day we have worked our way through the whole thing, and we'll just enjoy the ride between now and then. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. That's where we've been the past few weeks. Give you some time. There are some Bibles around the room and the different tables, so don't feel like you're disrupting anything if you wanted to get up and grab one. That's why they're there. So Acts chapter 4 where we're going. I'm going to pray real quick. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for preserving these um, stories for us and, and showing us how you work. It's just a bunch of words I'm saying up here. If your spirit isn't infusing and translating and working, and we know that you are here, and we want you to be seen. We want you to get the glory. We want your message across for all of us in the room, for all of our hearts. And so we just open up this time that we can dig in and learn from you, Lord, in your word. Amen. Amen. So Gavin reminded us last week that the book of Acts is not just the history of the early church. It is that. But it's the story of how God is at work in and through the church, which makes it our story as well. We're we're very deeply connected to what we read here. And what we're finding is, how does God work in and through the church? Well, we know Christ already ascended at the beginning of the book into heaven. So it's through the Holy Spirit. And that's where we see all of this incredible action take place in the book of Acts. You know, action. It's from the Spirit. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And I'm going to give you a little recap, okay? So a couple weeks ago, Eric taught, Pastor Eric, about Peter and John, the healed man, in the name of Jesus. Then the chief priests, the religious leaders, they were not really happy about this, but everybody in the crowds were like, oh, this is so cool, what happened? And so they took Peter and John in. They kind of wanted to arrest them, but they just sort of took them in. And Gavin taught about this last week where they were like, hey, uh, guys, cool trick. Um, How'd you do that? And they said, oh, oh, you want to know how we did this. Well, let me tell you. You remember that one guy, Jesus, that you killed? Yeah, that's how we did this, because he didn't stay dead. And it's in the power of the name of Jesus that they did this. And the religious leaders were like, oh, man. And they're like, okay, guys, huddle up. What are we going to do with these guys? Because everybody around is super excited about this miracle, but we, this is a problem. This is going to be a problem if they keep doing it in the name of Jesus. What do we do? 
And so they're like, you know what, I got a plan, I'll talk to them. So the leaders go back, they're like, all right, guys, this healing, that's fun stuff, good for you. Um, but the name of Jesus, you're going to put the kibosh on that. No more of that is going to happen. You're just going to, you know, leave that part out from now on. And Peter and John were like, um, maybe, maybe you weren't tracking with us, but you see, our boss is actually your boss. And who, who are we going to listen to here? We're going to listen to you, and we're going to listen to God. And, and even if we wanted to stop saying the name of Jesus when we're living out this life in his kingdom, I don't think we can do it. We can't. We can't stop. And they were like, man, I wish we could arrest these guys right now, but if we do, everybody's going to be upset, so they set them free. Now you're all caught up. <laughs> and so you can go ahead and pick it up in your Bibles. Chapter 4, we're going to read from verse 23, Acts 4, 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, to the church, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And here they're quoting Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Which is pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. I'd like us to do a little time traveling, because that's one of my favorite things to do when we read the Bible, is to try and get in our imaginations, get in the shoes a little bit of, of the people that we're reading, because uh, they were real people, and we are connected to them. They, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ from, you know, 2,000 years ago. And, but they grew up in a different culture. They grew up in a different mindset. So before we learn a little bit about that, I'm just going to tell you a little story about a podcast I listened to a long time ago. Hidden Brain, which is just a podcast I like, and it was an interview about a cognitive, uh, with a cognitive scientist and linguist named Lyra Borditsky, and she and a colleague lived for an extended period of time in a northern Australian Aboriginal community. Has, did anyone hear the story about this Aboriginal community whose whole language and way of life is oriented by the cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west? I don't know if anybody heard that. We're going to hear it now. So, so these, these scientists, these ladies, they're like us. They know the cardinal directions, north, south, east, west. It's not a strange concept. They use it all the time, just like us. If you're old enough to drive, especially if you can read a map, we all do it. We know the directions. But then when they got there, it was like they didn't know anything. 
because the way this people group, their language, the way they see, everything is about that. To say hello, just to say hello. You don't say hello. You say, what direction are you going in? And to answer, you have to say, I'm headed in a southeasterly direction. What direction are you heading in? Oh, well, I'm heading in, you know. And, but if they were standing this way when they have the conversation, it changes it instantly. They don't have words for right and left. So if you're at a picnic, you're sitting in the grass, and your buddy's there, you're like, oh, watch out, there's a spider on the left, on, right next to your left foot. That doesn't exist. You'd have to say, there's a spider next to your east foot, but only if he's sitting on whatever side that would be. You know, I, her mind was so tired. She was trying so, so hard, and she knew she looked like a fool everywhere she went when she tried to interact. It was so hard to keep track of where she was and where they were, even though she knew directions, until one day, it just clicked. Suddenly, she could do it. It was like her mind opened up, and she could see herself from a bird's eye view, like she was a little red dot on a map. And after that, it was easy. <laughs> She got it. It was like a huge weight lifted, and it was like the whole world opened up to her with this new way of seeing. It blew her mind. When she confessed this to, to one of the, you know, one of her neighbors, she's like, oh my gosh, I finally figured it out. I'm so excited. I can do what you guys are doing. I can, and I, I see myself now, bird's eye view. And they were like, yeah, how else would you do it? <laughs> That's the only way I know how to do it. Okay, the reason why I share Lyra Borditsky's story is because these people, these early believers, were all Jewish believers at this point in Acts. And as Jewish believers, their whole culture, they knew the scriptures. Even if they were uneducated men, which is what they called John and Peter, they still knew the scriptures. They went to synagogue every week from the time they were little tykes. And the capacity for memorization back then was extraordinary. It, most people just memorized copious amounts of information because there was no printing press. It was just a way of life. I mean, the educated people, imagine what they had memorized. But just ordinary people. They knew the scriptures. They would have pretty much had them memorized. And the scriptures that they had, the Law and the Prophets, our Old Testament, all pointed to the Christ, the coming Messiah. He was going to be on the line of David. And David, King David, that was the glory days. So it was going to be continuing that kingdom. But even better, because it would be a kingdom with no end. There are so many promises, so many prophecies about the Christ. They were saturated in it. Just like those scientists were, you know, like us, we are kind of living in a world with cardinal directions. But it wasn't until earlier in Acts that Peter gave a sermon empowered by the Holy Spirit, and revealed the scriptures were opened up to them. Their minds were totally open to see, oh my word, you mean that guy who was crucified is the Christ that we've been hearing about all our lives, all our lives. The scriptures were totally open to them, and as a result, there's no going back. You can't unsee this. You can't unbe what that makes you in the story. And they were pierced to the heart and said, what are we supposed to do? And Peter's like, believe, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus. And these are the people in the room after Peter and John have their little debacle with the chief priest. They come back to this crowd. And I just think that that helps us to kind of get in their shoes. So let's see what they do 
with this kind of a mindset, where their minds are open wide, they now understand this cosmic story that they're a part of. Well, first of all, they come together immediately. This happened to Peter and John. And it doesn't say anything about Peter and John saying, you know what, maybe we should go back to our place tonight, and then we can kind of figure this one out, you know, like, how do we share it with the rest of the group? No. Peter and John were released and went back to everyone else. Remember the story of Acts? The book of Acts is about how God moves in and through his people by means of the Holy Spirit. And one of the primary things that the Spirit does is he unites us. He unites us. We're no longer individuals. We're no longer, it's not about me. It's not about this happened to Peter and John. Peter and John knew what happened to them happened to everyone, happened to all of them. So they were together. That was the first thing they did. The next thing is they prayed. They, if, they, if they spent time like wringing their hands for a while, it, they didn't record it in scripture, so God didn't want us to know. So <laughs> what he did want us to know is that they prayed. And how did they begin their prayer? They didn't start with what was happening right now. They didn't start with the story of, of Peter and John. They go to the cosmic large God, the God of the scriptures that their minds have been opened up to. And they say, Sovereign Lord, this is the God of everything, the creator of the heavens, the earth, the sea. This is who they address their conversation to. They pull the camera lens way back way back from what's going on. And then what happens? The scripture comes to mind, which often happens in prayer if you read scripture. <laughs> I believe the Spirit just brings it to mind. And what was brought to their mind as a group praying together was Psalm 2. This little small section that's quoted, why do the nations rage? You know, the kings of the earth rise up against the anointed one. That's from Psalm 2. And you know what comes right after that in, in the same psalm? This idea of, of the nations saying, you know, oh, here's the Christ. And they're like, we don't like this. We're going to resist this. We're going to, you know, try and put the kibosh on the anointed one. Then the psalm says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. The Lord says, I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy mountain. Like, that's, that's reality. Good luck with your resistance. <laughs> is kind of God's attitude. It makes me think of, you know, cartoons where there's like a little, a little kid that's like trying to hit somebody, but then the big guy puts his hand on his head, like, and he can't, like, you know what I'm saying, right? You've all seen this. Yeah, this to me is God. When, when the nations, when, and people are like, oh, we're going to put the kibosh on, on the anointed, on the Christ. He's like, buddy, um, I don't want to tell you. It is what it is. I put him on the throne. That's how it goes. So that's the scripture that comes to their mind. And then after that, they recap with God in prayer what's been going on. And they say, you know what? What David said in that psalm, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. He is your anointed one. And they did rise up against them, so much so that they tortured him and killed him. But when they thought they were in control, when they thought they were having success at putting a lid on this anointed one, all they were actually doing was fulfilling all these prophecies. They were carrying out God's big purpose, you know, again with the kid. They thought they were in control. He was in control. And these early believers, they acknowledged that in prayer. 
And after all of this, now they bring it to what's happening with them. They say, consider their present threats. This is their way of, of acknowledging, observing, and accepting. There's a way this tends to go. All through scripture, this is the way this goes. When the anointed one, the Christ, Jesus Christ, is on the throne and, and his kingdom, his heavenly ways are happening on earth, such as that healing. When this happens, there are some people who are pierced to the heart and ask, what can we do? Like the people in this room and the people in this room. And then there are some people who say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let this happen. And they resist. And that's just the way it goes. That's just the way it goes. So they accept that, but they also recognize this happened to Jesus, but that didn't thwart what he did. He continued on in what he was doing. He didn't have to prove that he was king. Just like when Peter and John, when they said, you need to stop saying the name of Jesus, they weren't like, well, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> it wasn't like a power struggle. It's because it's just reality of the kingdom. It didn't stop Jesus when there was pushback. Even when he was murdered, it didn't stop Jesus. He rose from the dead. He's on the throne. Nothing can change this. So in light of all these facts that together as one united group, together, they recap. In light of all this, they pretty much ask for one thing. One actual practical request. Let me see what verse it's in. Yep, verse 29. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with what? Boldness. Boldness. I read this story the first time. I thought, you know, if I was getting with my uh, community group in this situation, I feel like we would have prayed for wisdom. <laughs> would have prayed that you would change the hearts of the religious leaders. <laughs> that pray for, I don't know, how to navigate this. But no, their prayer was, help us to act like Jesus. Jesus was bold, and he pressed forward because he's on the throne. And we acknowledge that. Give us boldness too. And if they're asking for boldness, it means they weren't feeling very bold. <laughs> they were feeling scared. Yeah, But that's what they asked for. And after they prayed this, after they made this request, they said, amen. What happened? I hear it in little whispers. The, yes, it shook. Not a word for whispering. The place shook. I think God wanted them to know we're on the same page, fellas. This is the beginning, and I want you to hear, yes, this is what I'm asking you to do. Your prayer is tracking right along with my heart. This is what God is saying. And this is part of our story, too. And he answered their prayer, like, right away. Notice, too, they didn't say, please give Peter and John boldness. They said, give your servants, all of us in the room, boldness to speak the word of God. So what does this have to do with us? Because, again, this isn't just the early church story. This is our story. They are part of the cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on, our brothers and sisters in first century Palestine. So I think we can learn four things from them, probably more, but we're going to do four. <laughs> the first one is pray that God would open our eyes 
to Christ, to his present kingdom, and to the scriptures. That we would have that moment like the, the scientists with the cardinal directions, that he would open up the scriptures to us, open up our eyes to see who he is and what his kingdom is. And, and the question is, if you do ask that, I mean, what are the odds that he's going to answer? Well, I can tell you who he'll answer that for, because he, he says it himself. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 11, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. This is the cosmic God who created the heavens and earth, and now we know something that makes him smile. It brings him pleasure to the ones who say, well, you know, I have a right to know all of that, or, you know, the, the, the people who are supposed to have all the answers. He's like, mm, you know, I'm actually going to reveal it to the little children. This is the God who opened up the heavens to choirs of angels to some nobody shepherds in a field in the middle of the night. And that brought a smile to his face, according to this. This is the same God who revealed himself to a Samaritan woman who wasn't even accepted by other Samaritan women. And that brought a smile to his face. If we ask God, reveal yourself to us, Christ, your kingdom, the scriptures, that's a prayer that will bring a smile to his face because we are little children. And the other thing is, in Matthew 13, he goes on to say, those who have been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven will be given more. We'll have an abundance. We can continue to ask that he would do this. So pray, number one, pray that our eyes would be open to Christ, his kingdom, the scriptures. The second thing, repent and be baptized. Peter says that a lot. And I guess we do too, and so does the church, because what that really means to repent is to just turn around from your old way of life, change your tra trajectory to following Christ. It's reorienting your life to say, you know what? I'm going to follow and look to Christ. He is going to be like the king of my life. And as a result, I'm going to have to let go of a bunch of things that used to be my life. Maybe my agenda, my way, my mannerisms. It's a big decision to repent and to, to make that decision to say, I'm going to lose my life, I'm going to let it go, so that I can gain it in Christ as my king. And baptism is really connected quite deeply. Repent and be baptized. They kind of go together. And it's because baptism is the sensory, tactile, public display of repentance to everyone else. Not just to everyone else, to your own brain. God knows. We get the information in here with our senses. <laughs> and so baptism is a way of saying, this is the decision I've made. Now, if you're here today and, and you're curious about baptism and you're just thinking that maybe you'd like to be baptized or you just have some questions, we have little cards around the room and you can just put your information. There might be a box to check. Don't worry. That doesn't mean that you're now signed in blood. You're getting baptized next Sunday. It's just beginning a conversation. So I'd encourage you, if you're curious, to, to fill it out. We can, little boxes, you can drop that card in. 
But that decision to repent, like I said, it's one big decision, the trajectory to follow Christ. It's also um, little tiny daily decisions, little tiny daily decisions to say, I'm going to release my reputation. I'm going to release my comfort. I'm going to release my safety. I'm going to release my agenda, not because God doesn't care about those things. Sometimes these things are gifts from him, but because they are rubbish unless they are lined up to him. And making those kinds of decisions every single day, that is not easily done. It is work, and it's not possible, or is, nor is it meant to be done alone. So the third thing is to be together, be together the early church, they were united. They were one. If you want to see the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, be together. The way I love to be together is from a community group. I'm part of the Beardsley community group, and, and there's one of my girls. <laughs> and we love it because we do. We encourage each other. We get to share the ways that the that the Holy Spirit is at work and ways that we struggle. So be together. And the fourth thing, the final thing, is to live it out. Um, live it out fully. Steve Martin shared a tweet like 10 years ago when I was on Twitter, and I still think about it. He said, <laughs> he said, hey everybody, I just rearranged all the furniture in my living room with my mind and also my hands. <laughs> and I just thought that was really funny. But, you know, you get it. You get the joke. It's because you can't really move furniture with just your mind. There is a brain-hand connection that's necessary there. It's no different in the life of the kingdom of Jesus. We need to have our spirits connected with our bodies, with our hands, our feet, and our mouths. This is why Peter and John said, you know, I don't think we can stop saying this. It wasn't because they were, you know, like doing the power struggle. It was because they were in concert together. Their spirits were in concert with their hands, their feet, and their words in concert with one another, in concert with the forever eternal kingdom of God. And so live it out fully. And so I, I just kind of treat that as a little bit dare of a dare for all of us. We do those things. See what happens. Let's just see what happens. So, God, I thank you so much uh, for your word. I thank you for Peter and John and our brothers and sisters from so long ago who we are not so far removed from. Thank you for preserving their stories, and I pray that you would open up our minds to you, to your kingdom, to the scriptures, that you would give us courage to take steps, whatever they might be for each of us, to repent, perhaps be baptized, to, to be together with one another. But above all things, help us to know you more, know you more and love you more and be more aware of you. I just thank you. Amen. We're going into a time of offering now.